You're listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. Well, welcome, Kim. I'm really excited to talk to you about Cake. What an amazing name as well to um, come up with. So I would like you to just tell me a little bit about Cake for listeners listening on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's it's awesome. And yeah, we like the Cake name as well. <laughs> so we are, we're an online equity platform for startup founders to help them manage their equity. Things like making it really easy to set up an option pool, give options to your employees, and set up and run a, an equity raise. And this actually works on a global level, which none of our competitors can do. Typically, you see the problems like it's very slow and expensive and complicated to, to deal with equity, and the founders don't understand this. There's a lot of spreadsheets and lawyers and a lot of admin and forth and back. So we've streamlined that process to make it really simple. Let's go back into why did you start Cake? You know, what was it that enticed you going, I really want to work on this problem? It was multiple things, but I've always had a big passion for entrepreneurship and moved in that direction more and more. Had been part of several startups where I also felt the pain with equity, how difficult it was. Uh, I wanted to set up an option pool in another company where I was a partner and a CTO, but it was never possible and I found it was quite unfair and I didn't understand why it had to be so hard. Uh, every contract that I read around equity, I never understood them. Uh, and then I was trying to ask questions to lawyers and I didn't understand what they were answering. <laughs> so I felt a lot of pain uh, myself. Um, and when I, when I came to Australia six years ago, I had the opportunity to start from scratch in a way to set up a startup and, and really do do that 100% um, and really be in the ecosystem of uh, startups. Uh, another pain I felt was, you know, access to ownership in private equity. If you're not a sophisticated uh, investor, then you often can't get access. And I thought, found that super unfair. Um, so I really wanted to, to change that. And building out Cake, tell me sort of who is the ideal target audience and Walk me through the founders and the different stages of founders and their real pain points um, as to how and when they could utilize Cake. So just give me all the personas that are able to use your product and how. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of categorize from Cake's perspective, uh, startup founders in three categories. So the first one, we call him the kind of bootstrapper. It's before he's like pre-seed, before he's raised any money. Uh, He doesn't really have any funding. He has a high passion. Um, and you know, he doesn't know much. So he also doesn't know the, he doesn't really know the problems he's going to have. Uh, the startup founder at that stage typically needs his priorities to, to build an MVP the, and get his first customers, trying to get some pain customers, trying to get some initial traction. Uh, and his, his big pain points are running out of money, not having enough money. So, uh, trying to get enough, uh, validation, evidence, traction to to be able to do a race um and part of that process and you know building a startup and learning about equity it's it's also really trying to find a good advisor or find good advice um so that's another challenge and all the shotgun around equity is super complicated he has of course little time to to learn about it so that's the very first after that we call him kind of like the seed planter 
that's the guy who's or the founder who's got a little bit further. So he got his first race, a node or a seed race. Um, he he then enters into a mode of we could say high anxiety because a lot of things are going on, you know, and the startup is changing so rapidly. He's trying to build out the core team. He has no time to waste. To waste. Now he's trying to get that product market fit and and start to show some some traction. So really to try and make the product actually work and bring in revenue. So his his pain points at that time are typically getting more customers, of course, attracting the best possible team to be able to execute on this and showing investors growth. The the third phase, as assuming that this startup is successful, moves on to, we call it more like the executor. As a founder at that time, he's relying on more specialists on his team, like the CFOs or internal lawyers, accountants, to actually manage the cap table. Um, and at that time, his pain points are typically, he need to grow the team really fast. So scaling up the team, which is complicated, he need to, to retain them uh, through a lot of challenging changes, dramatic changes at that time. He needs to be able to learn how to tell the growth story to the team to show what's the possibilities of the value that can come out of the equity. And he has a lot of extra things like reporting and compliance and managing the board, managing the shareholders, a lot of communications and all of that. So we help on all of these stages. Our like really focused target customer is more, more or less the ones in the middle, but we also service the, all the earlier ones and a little bit the later stage. And maybe you can sh- share with us like how each of those user personas actually can utilize the product because I've experienced the product on the platform, but maybe you can just, you know, what is one feature that each of those personas can experience through your platform that solves that pain point for them that they're going through at that stage? Yeah, absolutely. So at each stage, we support them with the particular challenge that they have around that time with their equity to grow the team, to communicate well, to manage the cap table. Um, which is ultimately comes down to saving a lot of time and pain and money. Um, for the bootstrapper itself, he actually needs the best guided advice and not be set up wrong. Uh, so we really help with very simple guides and content so he can be upskilled and we kind of build the confidence in the founder at that time, because this is something obviously he struggles with as he's being thrown into this. We also provide him with very, very simple and standard legal contracts. So you know, sometimes it can be a little bit random what type of advice you get and what type of contract you get, and that can set you up wrong for later. So it's really important to use the best standard and the simplest um, uh, contracts. And once he goes and becomes the kind of bootstrapper and gets that traction, then he needs to really start to dive into set up an option pool and really use the options to attract the best talents because that's where he needs potentially to start getting some specialists on the team. To, to solve the big problems. In the beginning, you try and do everything. So you're more generalist. As you start growing the company and have tractions, you need some specialists to really solve the hard problems. So at that stage, we also help with the communication to the stakeholders, uh, providing share certificates, um, com- communicating company updates, uh, sharing all the documents and all of those things. And we built in a very guided, streamlined way to set up the option pool. So it boils down to, in the simplest way, almost a one-click uh, setup of an option pool. And then you can directly give options to your employees. Um, and the employees and the investors have their own app where they can log in and see the documents and see the offers that they're getting and sign through the app. So they can keep track of everything that is going on. And the 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 founder can keep track on his side, who needs to sign, what 
type of documents do they need and all of that. So as as the company then grows and um, the, the, the requirements are harder, it gets more complex, it will typically shift to more like a CFO or something that handles it. And our, in our app, what happens often is that uh, CFOs or advisors and lawyers will also have access to the cap table so they can log in with different uh, edit rights and all of that. So they will start helping to, to manage the cap table. Yeah, amazing. And what's the pricing? Where does the pricing start for the different founders to use this tool that you've built for yeah, so it's it's very cheap. So it's a there's a freemium to the very early startups. So up to five stakeholders, it's completely free. And then we have a, a starter plan, which is around twenty to thirty dollars, depending on how many stakeholders you have and and which country you're in. Um, and then there's a growth plan, and we just recently released a, a kind of a more mature startups uh, plan, a pro plan, which is still like 10 times cheaper than the alternative. So now as the world is going global and you need access to global talent, um, we can provide options across borders everywhere and nobody else of our competitors can do that. So I'm quite happy and proud about that. Um, and that's that's a need that is really have grown tremendously as we can see with the extreme growth from companies like Deal and Oyster that help with remote hiring. Um, so we're getting very strong signals and, and our customers need this. Yeah. I really love that feature where you can give access to options worldwide now. And you're saying that you enabled that on your platform. And I think that is something that you should be very proud of. I want to go back and really cover off, given that you're talking to so many founders of the different variants from bootstrap to sophisticated, can you share with us some of the biggest mistakes that you see that founders have made um, along the way with employees and maybe, you know, how they gave away equity at that later stage, how they raised and maybe, you know, gave away too much equity. I'd love to hear at each buyer persona level some of the biggest mistakes so that people listening on might be able to learn from it and avoid that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, I want to say there's literally a million ways to screw up with your cap table. So this is really, really hard. And everybody screws up to various degrees. So, you know, don't <laughs> just understand that. Um, in the early days, it's really about, you know, getting proper advice. Um, and then as you grow faster, you still need better advice. So we, we try and, and use the platform, the insights, the learnings we have from having, you know, most of the cap tables in Australia, then we can provide the best ways to use uh, the, the, the equity. But what we've seen, for example, of typically, for example, bad advice, um, or it gets taken too literally, uh, often, of course, the founders themselves will try and get things done so they screw up. But some have been told, for example, just give 1% to all early employees. But what does that mean? What is early, you know? And then we see companies that have given away 15% before they even reach the seed round. And, and that sets them up really, really bad to, to grow uh, later stage. Um, also, sometimes we see them having like random legal templates um, that actually don't apply for the company and is based on different tax schemes. Um, and we need to go and redo all the offers. And then they have to go and explain to the employees uh, why the exercise price is different than what has been communicated. So it creates a lot of confusion. And it doesn't look professional for the founders uh, in front of employees and investors. We've also seen founders being, being rushed into a safe with a very low valuation cap set, which is means they are going to end up giving a lot more away of their company than they were supposed to. Uh, and that's really too bad. And a very common thing we also see is 
simply not issuing enough shares in the, to start with, uh, which means then later you have to issue more shares and do share splits and all of those things that, again, delays, cost money, is painful and can mess up your, your cap table. So given these common mistakes, if you had founders, well, how would you advise them to avoid some of these common mistakes? Yeah, I mean, as, as we really try and, and bring out a standardization and the best practices, and you know, really taking all all the transactions that we have in in Cake, we have eighty thousand stakeholders in the platform. So there's a lot of transactions, uh, so we can see how to best use it. So, you know, it's it's getting good advice and trying to look at the best pra- practices in the standard agreements. Um, what what are some of the best practices for say? Let's talk about the bootstrap uh, strapper first. Let's talk about what are some of the best practices that you would you know recommend that he does as he's going into, you know, into his company and trying to, you know, find basically product market fit as quickly as he can. But what advice do you have for him at that stage? Yeah, it depends on on his needs. One of the very important things you need as as a founder is to be able to kind of create a movement around you. So you have, you need support basically to make it happen. Uh, again, depending on what problem you're solving, if you're building a community or not. But you know, a good place to start, I think, is is Startmate and Blackbird. They have all these great programs. Uh, Blackbird has the Giants mentorship program, so it basically connects uh, mentors that have a proven history with with founders that need advice um, with no obligations. And I think that's you know trying to find those good sources of information. Um, also, as you're starting to hire and you're looking for you know, the right talents, it's, there's a fellowship um, from Startmate as well, where they kind of uh, help uh, prepare people for a startup. So you can go and, and already find um, people that have that mindset because there's a lot of learnings that are necessary. So I think finding those really good channels uh, is really, really important. Um, and yeah, definitely, you know, use Cake or some standard agreements is definitely the best. Um, I General advice also for, for the early startup the early bootstrapper is is really you know to take care of your health and your family and all of that because it's a long journey you know so so having really good practices in place early on i think is super super important it's like you know you're sprinting a marathon so you know you gotta have uh in in my opinion you need to be very kind of grounded every day from from the start of the day to to try and create some peace in your mind um, and then, you know, have good systems to manage all the inbound uh, stuff that is happening. So you can actually focus and be creative, uh, I think is super important. Um, and then understand that it's a journey that you're on. It's a long journey. You're going to evolve a lot. So how do you make sure you're constantly learning, but but not feeling overwhelmed? Um, so we try also to really help with these type of things. Yeah, I really loved when you actually join Cake, what you end up getting is a really nice streamline of emails, which is educational as well. When I joined on, I could see that you're also trying to coach people through the something that they didn't know. And I really enjoyed that. And I'll get into your marketing tact and so forth um, that you can actually come and share. But before I do, I want to cover off the second person, the second persona who has done a race. Um now, in terms of, I want to go a little bit more into that about who they should, now they're trying to employ the right staff and attract the right talent and grow that team. What's your advice in deciding, you know, who gets a part of that equity? You know, what what kind of framework would you recommend that, that the founder applies at that point um, 
when they're deciding, you know, how to actually allocate options and how to how to go about that? I think it's actually really, really tricky, right? So um, there's a lot of things involved, actually. So, um, you know, you need to set up a pool. Typically, you do that just before the raise or in, in combination with the raise. So investors are on board with that. And that pool has a certain size. So you need to try and make sure you've allocated the right amount of options to, to be able to give to your team. So you're trying to calculate what the team needs at the current stage. And because now we're in, the, in that middle phase, so you already have a team and you're most likely going to grow that team, especially if you've just raised. So you need to try and predict ahead how many you're going to hire so you can give them options. You have to think about also that once in, you know, the, the options will vest over a time period, typically three or four years. But, you know, and those 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 years pass pretty fast sometimes. And, you know, then you need to be able to top up uh, as the expectations are there. So you need to allocate for that as well. If you don't, if you run out of options to give, then you kind of have to go back to the investors and ask them, is it okay? Uh, the stakeholders can, can I, you know, issue more options that will dilute everyone on the cap table? So it's it's pretty tricky. Um, then there's the legal kind of agreements as part of the, the contracts um, around, you know, exercise periods um, and, and, you know, what's a bad lever and good lever and all of that. With most of those details, it's really about getting a vanilla simplifying it we we recommend uh, and having again the 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 absolute standards out there so again you can move around and and different lawyers and different platforms will understand it um, so so it's very easy if, um, if you if you need to change something is it typical then for most people like you know the the early joiners to all get options or do you kind of go no i'm only going to give it to the people that I want to only retain for the next three, four years or that are taking a salary cut? Like what are you sort of looking for when you're deciding on who deserves an option and who you will just employ? Um, I guess it comes down to cash flow to an extent as well as to how much cash you've got, but I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, advice on that. Yeah. Yes and no. It can be connected with cash flow, but not necessarily. I mean, so, I think there's no there's no right answer in this, but we certainly recommend something, and I personally recommend also, like as early as possible, you do want to give options, and that's that's to build the process in the company, to to as early as possible make it a, a significant aspect of the hiring uh, and the offer process. Um, so you you already when you need to get the top talent, you already have the practice in place. You're not trying to catch up. Uh, and get that in place while you need to hire. So the earlier you have these uh, good practices in place, um, the better. It also helps employees to be aligned around what needs to to happen. Of course, you have these typically these mechanisms around a, a cliff and and the vesting, so that if it doesn't work out with an employee and he leaves within the first year, then he will not have ownership in the company. So there is these protection mechanisms, and you can design them outside the the normal um if you need for your specific case so yeah we'll typically recommend as early as possible um and and get the get the the the, the best practices rules in place and what is a best practice as to what you should be giving out before say a series a round or in your pre-seed round like what you know what um if you've got an employee what are the sort of best practices on how much percentage to do yeah so you know the the simplest way is to to attach it based on the salary 
So there's kind of consistency as company-wide as possible and try and avoid that everything is a, is a custom agreement um, because that it becomes really, really complicated to manage and manage expectations. So, um, but that's, you can't always do that because there will be, you know, uh, if you get, if you're in Australia and you get a US advisor that is very, like very experienced to something, you might have to, to, to bump him up a bit more, um, especially, you know, post series A. Um, so it's, it's protecting that you don't give away too much, but at the, at the same time, having the possibility to attract the best talents. Uh, and as the maturity around options and ownership grows, um, we see very high maturity in the US uh, and it's growing here in many places around the world. People, employees will expect this. Uh, so the better, the earlier you're set up to understand how to communicate around this and use it as a tool, um, the better you are like on the front foot when you need to hire the best people out there. Got it. As a founder then, at that early stage when you're like thinking about options and equity and what you're promising to your employees, what would you think that a founder in terms of options, what should they give away of what they have when they first start? This is hundred percent their company, right? And they're expecting, okay, I'm going to dilute at what would you recommend? Like 20%, 10%, 5% to your, you know, as you, as you go through the rounds, what's sort of the, your best practice on how you should look at that? I think, you know, the standard is between 10 to 20% at each round. Mm -hmm. um, I think we, we love mm -hmm. <laughs> options at cake. So we're probably pushing more towards the, the 20%. We really believe that it's, it's, it's the founders and the teams that are really going to make it, make it happen. And, and most others around are kind of cheerleaders and, and supporting as good as they can. But, you know, the, the people on the ground there every day doing the grinds, um, you know, they need to be compensated and they need to be motivated and engaged. So we, we would we would push towards at least 15 to 20 percent always. Also, just to doesn't mean you have to give it all away right away. It, it's just to have enough um, as you typically can't predict so well what's going to happen. So you want to have a little bit extra always than you expect than your spreadsheet says. Um, you know, someone might leave and you're already given some away and then you have an opportunity to get a very senior person that needs a bit more. Um, and so you want to have the, the options available for that. Got it. For the very, very early founders, you might, you know, if you're two or three founders, you might uh, put just a, a share vesting. So not options, but the shares themselves on a vesting plan, especially if you haven't known each other for a long time. So you can build in a cliff there as well um, and make sure that, um, you don't like break up after a year and, and one person leaves with one third of the company. And then it's really difficult to, to continue um, from, from that. On. And going back to who should be given the options, is it based on the quality of the talent because you want to retrain, retrain, uh, retain them, or is it sort of a blanket rule of, um, you know, do it with everyone based on the salary you set, just so I can get clarity on your, viewpoint on that yeah in, in at cake and what we like to see is to give it to everyone um if you have a a part-timer that is or someone that's not going to stay for long then it's maybe it doesn't make so much sense but for every at least every full-time employee uh, or anyone that is going to stay for that you expect to to be working together for years yes we would give options to the more senior people 
in the beginning, you you might have you you want to give a little bit more. There's that you know there's the early founders, and then there's maybe your first CTO hire if you're a tech company uh, that and you and you have the possibility of getting a superstar into your team. Well, you know maybe you're not going to give him uh, just the just the base ten um, percent of the salary or whatever you choose as a consistent thing. Um, because he's bringing in expertise, so he's taking a risk. He he might go in another startup, um, and it's more likely you succeed with him, so or her. So you you might give a bit more in the option pool. Um, then you also have you know there's employees, there's advisors as well. So again, depending on where they're from, again we we try and use standards like the safe, uh, or the, sorry, the fast agreement is a standard out of the U.S. for when we're giving uh, our U.S. advisors um, options. I guess that's more later stage as you're building an advisory board um, and, um, you know, they will come in with expectations also on um, on options. And you can get very senior people, very experienced people um, that would be very difficult for you to, to pay for their time um, and uh, or they're simply too expensive, but but they they understand the the power of, of the equity if they're if they're lucky and and can get some some ownership in a startup that will really grow. So um, they they can often be keen on getting that ownership more importantly than than some cash. Um, and in terms of vesting periods with employees, as you've given them option, what's the best practice over there? Yeah, it's in. In Australia, we see most companies using a four-year period, where the first there's a one-year cliff, which basically means if you leave uh, anytime within the first year, you don't get any options. And then, as as if you've been there for one year, you get that whole one year's uh, vesting. And then, typically after that, but you can structure it in different ways. But typically after that, it vests a, a portion every month, um, which also is really good for the employees to see that each month that they're working hard um, to make the startup succeed, they're earning the options. Um, and, you know, we try and help the founders uh, with Cake communicate that equity story. In a simplified way, the very big beginning of a startup, the equity, the biggest power of that is really to motivate everyone uh, around the startup to create value in the equity, in the startup, in the business. And then at a certain point, as you start having a real business and um, you, it becomes more of kind of financial planning, the, then, and you get go through a few rounds, then the equity starts uh, becoming valuable. You might get to a point where you can run a secondary if you're oversubscribed, or you, know, you might pay out dividends. Um, so you can start you know, calculating a more real value on the options and, if if you oversubscribe, then you run secondaries. You can give you know a bonus to your employees, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, so they can see the real value of that. Got it. And I know Cake kind of has a really great interface where you can actually see exactly what's going on in a very clear way of all the options that are out there and how that actually translates to a dilution and so forth. Right? It actually enables you to see that in a very meaningful way. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we can always do better, but we, we want to make it super, super simple. So we try and take the very hard contracts. And 
and you know provide a good user interface so kind of bring them boil them down to what's the bullet points that really matters to you as an employee um and then you know as you're vesting the the rules of how you're earning that um you know we try and draw graphs to to show that it's how the rules are uh, very very clearly what's going to happen um and then you get notifications and you have an app where you can track you always have an overview um so and you have a an easy communication channel with the founders for any questions around this so we also try and really give tools to the founders to to kind of we call it tell the equity story um so so you know to really get the value of of the equity in in old days options was often you know some paper signed or not that would end up in a closet somewhere you know it doesn't work very well for as a tool and if there was an exit you know people are scrambling to figure out what was actually agreed on and you know so we're far from that so having a proper system to really manage this you can get much more value out of the equity as a founder awesome i really like it i wanted to get your understanding of what's going on with the valuation metrics at the moment in USA. Like we're hearing about it all the time. So yeah, can you fill us in on, you know, what's the know-how, what's actually impacting the founders at the moment in relation to the valuation? Yeah. Like, like, um, as we see in, in, I would say markets like blockchain and private equity, it's, it's quite volatile. And often you will see some bigger booms and some corrections along the way. And we've seen an extreme growth in in, in valuations, particularly. So that typically happens when there's a lot of money on the paper generated. So there's too many investors with too much money to deploy, and there's too few quality startups. Um, and then what happens is, you know, that the valuations start growing. So uh, the you know, ultimately, the valuation when you're when you're getting a fundraise is typically what the investor is willing to 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 pay you for a certain amount of ownership. It's not really uh, an, an algorithm that you calculate. Um, so, we've seen that the valuations have gone like a bit crazy. Like there was, uh, we've seen companies that had a thirty million dollar valuation without a product, you know, without customers or anything like that. Uh, and and now we're seeing a, a big squeeze, and um, nobody knows what's gonna what's gonna happen in the next period. But we saw Y Combinator uh, do a statement. A lot of people, of course, listen to to those guys as the probably the most successful accelerator in the world, and they're really saying to to tighten the bells. Um, and the next six to twelve months, it's going to be very very difficult to to raise money. So I think the U.S. is probably a bit more extreme uh, in both ends. Um, I think. In my opinion, um, you know, there's still going to be money for for quality startups, but the valuations are going to be a little bit, you know, it's harder to to get to high valuation. And sometimes that's not even good, also to get to high valuation, if it's too far off what the money you're making where you are, then it becomes, you know, you can go into a down round and actually, you know, have end up having to give a, away a lot of uh, ownership. So. It's good there's some balance in it. I think uh, I don't like to see downturns and all of that, but it's 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 important that um, we build real quality in in the startups and um, you know have a quality. You know, else it's just a lot of illusion. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess I want to talk to you and come back around to your marketing, which I really enjoyed your onboarding experience and how you were actually nurturing your buyer persona through. So. How do you think about the marketing landscape going, you know, forward and 
how you as a founder, how do you see how you use marketing in the future to get and acquire more users and brand awareness? How are you seeing the landscape? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the positive comments. Um, you know, marketing is, I think, one of the tools. We we are a product-led growth company. So basically, we, we try and empower every person in the company to really scale what they're doing, ultimately, which should be creating value to as many customers as possible. And marketing is is part of that. So so how do you bring the value of the product as, as top of the funnel, as close to the first encounters that, that our customers or users have of, of cake? So that's really the, the mindset. Now, there's different ways to acquire customers. And what's worked incredible well for, for cake is using kind of a community and, and partnership um, method so you know having all the the big vcs and accelerators point to cake and recommend cake uh, has been incredible for us um because that obviously helps with the, with the credibility and the, you know that means also that they get we get the best startups on the platform because the the vcs typically will have some of the highest growing startups in the portfolio um which again helps the new startups and new founders to look at which ones are the successful okay and where are they uh, which platforms are they using and they're using cake in australia so the community building up we just you know we we absolutely love to to help as much as possible that's why i get out of bed every day it's to help as many entrepreneurs as i can you know i i believe in them to to make it better better tomorrow for all of us so that's really what what drives me of course we also use kind of performance marketing. So uh, Google ads uh, and even Facebook and, and those type of channels, which is part of creating awareness. And all of it has to tie into what we call kind of like the growth loop or the flywheel uh, as part of the product net growth. So, uh, you know, a good description of the, the customer personas as well as a growth loop. Uh, where every time you add a new user to your platform, it brings in more users as the, as the growth loop spins. And when we do marketing, it's, it pushes into that growth flywheel. Um, so there's also you know, things like uh, SEO, so kind of more organic uh, search uh, for the, your product. Um, so as, as you build more content and get it out there, as you talk with more people, as um, you know, part of your flywheel, that's your, your users are recommending the product that brings in more um, users. In our case, particularly uh, every time we add a new uh, user, they typically bring in or a new founder or a startup to the platform. They typically bring in 20 new users in the shape of investors and or advisors and employees. Uh, so we have a really good flywheel um, from the investors. They often want to have most of their portfolio companies on in one platform so they can easily track what's going on. Um, and employees will often move around or talk about their ownership. So in, in at a global level, and that's maybe a rabbit hole, but there's a kind of mindset shift that has changed that there's more power to employees. You know, they, they just, they want to, they expect to work from home. They expect to have, more and more ownership um and so you know this is and this is already on a global level um so it's it's moving really fast and it's i think it's good because uh, there's been a lot of focus on investors and a lot of focus on in, on founders but we also need more focus on all the people behind the scenes that are working really hard to make the startup succeed so you said partnership was your number one marketing channel that's really working best and getting to be known against the vcs and making sure they're speaking of you if you had to rate a second channel as your you know, best performing channel, what would you say is your second, you know, if it's not from partnership, where would the remain, what would be your second focus channel? 
Yeah, I mean, our, our ads and Google ads actually work really, really well, uh, especially as we are constantly developing more product-led growth power in the company. Um, so, you know, we we, we want to make everything self-serviced and that you get an aha moment very early on as a new user. So that happens already at the, at the when you see an ad or you hear about it uh, in Cake. We also run a lot of events and all of that. So people are Googling that solution? Like you've yeah. picked up a keyword or something that where people are like, how do I solve X problem? They're actually pushing and looking for a product like you. So we're, we're constantly analyzing what are the best keywords um, and then, you know, uh, adjusting our marketing channels and our Google ads for that. Um, and that works really, really well, depending on the different markets, um, because each uh, region has, you know, some, some different legal requirements and they, they also have different maturity understanding of uh, equity. It's going very well in the US because they really understand equity. So um, typically there, it's we don't have to, to really uh, help them at all with our customer success or anything. They they get it right away. Uh, so we can send them an, an, an ad and we still don't have a huge partner network there yet. We're building that right now. Um, so it's it's awesome to kind of have that, the ads to test out a region pretty fast. Um, so you can see if, if that resonates, if your product is, is ready and resonates um, with, with that audience. And then as that helps you in your strategy to say, okay, this is working really well there. Then let's put the boots on the ground or whatever else. Um, as it's if in our case going global, you know, there's a lot of different places. So how do you kind of scale really fast and in a but but still very focused um, to make sure your your product works. So there's some customization that typically happens has to happen for each region. Again, depending on what type of solution you have. Um, in the case of equity, you have to change a bit the language. Um, and, and a few things so and what about social media where do you see that play within your marketing mix yeah i mean it's we we definitely it, it i think we're still trying to figure that out and like we we definitely you know we use social media like facebook uh, and those type of channels and it's hard to understand exactly where in the um, like in the in the funnel that it works, but we, we certainly know that if we if we turn it off, then uh, we don't have the same awareness happening. So it is an important step in 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 I think more in the awareness. Um, so even with the Google Ads, you might it might not be the ad that they're clicking, but the fact that it's there uh, just makes the the person write the domain himself or something. So uh, it is a combination of multiple channels that creates that awareness and it's it's pretty tricky to get it uh, to get it really working well and and spending your money right so you're trying to to attribute uh, back where where the paying customers your ideal customers are coming from uh, again that's not a linear thing because <laughs> no matter how much you you automate that uh, there's multiple touch points and and each of them have a little bit different weight sometimes um, so this is a yeah where you know, you really need to step up your performance marketing and your your data, um, and again find that right balance. Where if you go too wide, there's too much chaos in your data. So you need to to focus. These are some of the learnings we've had the last half year. Um, that's yeah, we're much more efficient now. How have you found? Because you talked a lot about Facebook. Is that because you are kind of attracted to the Facebook grouping, and you can identify through Facebook groups your target audience or 
um, because there's different data on each platform, right, about the specific ideal customer profile that you're after. And I was in, it's kind of interesting you mentioned Facebook more than any other platform. Do you see, uh, you know, do you see an opportunity um, over in Facebook for you to identify or do you, do you see that you can more clearly identify your customer base on, I don't know, TechCrunch, LinkedIn, you know, there's going to be the new generation of founders on TikTok, probably the, the next generation. So do you, how do you kind of, you know, see, okay, which social, because so many social media platforms, where do you see your users being able to be reached and how do you, where do you put it? Do you put it everywhere and hope for the best? Because that's, that's difficult as well with what's the spread amongst the platforms. Um, it sounds like you've got some really great big strategies on the partnership, on the event level, which ends up really driving it and you're still figuring out is social something and how you build demand through social and awareness is, is that still like sort of, um, right. Yeah. And again, I, it's a combination of things. And part of what we do that we haven't talked about is we, we create a lot of content, which ties into our SEO. So over time we, we create SEO and, and we, we expect to get one third of our customers through that channel, um, which again is also part of all the touch points. In regards to Facebook specifically, I don't think it's related to the groups really, but of course we're using the, the bots that are training, um, you know, so we, we feedback what is a, what is a kind of a good lead, uh, a marketing qualified lead, or even a product qualified lead that, that comes from there back to the engine so it can be smarter. And in the beginning, I think, yeah, I'm not a marketing expert, but we tried multiple channels, you know, and you have to be careful with your spend because it can easily go ballistic without you getting any results. We figured out that LinkedIn didn't work well. Um, we we kind of narrowed down to Google and, and Facebook were really good for us, um, more in a, as, a, as a data, thing but then we actually thought that facebook didn't have such a big impact so we experimented with that turned it off and it had a had a huge impact and which was a kind of a surprise to us uh, so but it, it for me it tells me more that it's it's having enough awareness um and there's you know we don't understand exactly what are the what are the checkpoints you know some sometimes it you need to have that one where you sit at night and you're scrolling through things and the, your user is seeing you there, which actually is that convenient time to, to check out something uh, because we have a lot of people signing up on, on mobile. So, you know, uh, even though typically you would manage your cap table more on, on, a, on a laptop or a desktop computer, but, you know, in the acquisition process, maybe it's when they just, oh, I heard about this thing. I'm just going to kind of check it out now. Um, and if they can't find it, you know, so I'm just uh, I'm just jumping to to guesses here, but uh, it's it's things like that that are really really hard to understand. Uh, yeah, it's super interesting for me that you're saying you know that Facebook was something that ended up working towards your favor more than LinkedIn because my understanding was with LinkedIn we can target the actual job titles and very maybe you can't define clearly if they're in which stages you sort of can with the segmentation of crunch base data and you know um are you able to get a cold targeting layer from facebook based on just interest because you know facebook doesn't give us that level of t job title uh confirmation data whereas yours is very much yep i want a founder you know within this many years of experience so yeah i'm just curious to learn where you saw 
I'm I'm, I'm kind of like astounded that you know that LinkedIn didn't end up working, and maybe you know that was then, and there it could be different messaging. And it's it doesn't mean it won't work in the future. So we are adjusting, you know. Uh, along the way and learning all the time so uh yes it's i we are we are also surprised because logic tells you something and but you gotta have that combination of a hunch in your stomach and and the data um and then enough logic and then you gotta try things um, along the way and you know it's just to get seo perfectionist and and that's another thing we also have seen you know um one of our big learnings was really that we could get a lot of signups, but they're not quality signups. Uh, and again, a combination of ads or the channels. Um, and at a time we got a lot through Facebook and we just assumed that, well, that's not really a good channel for us because these are not quality leads. But then, you know, that was actually more about our ads and, and how we were marketing the values of our product that was causing that. So, you know, Again, it's it's a it's definitely a challenge, you know. Um, but um, but so it's you gotta be smart. You gotta have like my advice there is just to have a really good data set up from the beginning. It's it's very easy to throw a lot of third parties on top of your app, but then you don't actually understand anything what's going on. So to have a you know it's it's expensive and difficult, and there's no perfect time to set up a data warehouse. But but you know in a way the sooner the better um because this is well depending on, again on your acquisition channel but but you know a lot of companies need to to use these uh these um online uh, ads uh, channels yeah thank you thank you for yeah sharing sort of your learnings and it's really interesting to always learn as to how someone sees and grows a particular and sees the channels because more and more i'm hearing that the google interface you know, Google search is not the future. It's not where people are going to continue to search. And they're like sitting here like, you know, like zombies um, basically absorbing content from TikTok and all these channels like a, like crazy. So they don't have that much time anymore, you know, to go and do Google searches potentially, or they saw you somewhere. So they're coming to Google as a secondary channel just to get the information, but they actually saw you somewhere else. And it's very hard to know what attribution is because you just it's capturing the data because you think oh they came from google but they might they probably saw you before that and you're saying attributions here yeah exactly that's why you can't like it's it's not a simple thing to do attribution really and even you know programs like the reforge is talking about almost like a loop in the beginning right so they need to see you multiple times on different places it's not just a funnel uh you know so and it depends on your product as well right where is where are your customers really where where are they hanging out like really really understanding your customer get under their skin right like we we built out these very in-depth personas in the company uh, constantly learning i talk with you know with founders every single week myself to really make sure i understand them uh, as as much as possible um so so we can really you know make it easy for them to to find cake and get value out of cake well, I'm going to have my final question about just the branding and the name Cake. And how difficult was it to acquire the name? I have to ask that, you know, was what was um, and then how did you actually come up with it? Because it's such an impactful and it's such a memorable name. I would love to know the journey of, you know, was it just easy to gain that um, name when, you know, that journey of how you land such a great name? 
I have to be totally honest there. Like, <laughs> my engineering background, I'm not good at copy and all of that. So, you know, we were originally a blockchain company that pivoted into Cake. So we were our very first name before we were anything was Blockchain Club, and then we became Enhanced Society, and then we we started, you know, we pivoted into what became Cake, and that was called Smart Equity, typically engineer crappy name. And then we we had some really good friends that we worked with at Joseph Mark and really found their their branding and quality work. So we hired them to help us. They came up with a few suggestions and one of them was Cake. And as instantly when I saw that, I was like, that's the name uh, we want. That's, that's um, it stands out enough. And it is, it is something that people relate to. Um, so that was, even though it was weird in my head from an engineer, I knew in my gut that that was the right name for us um, and then of course we can we can build all these puns around it you know sharing is caring or have a piece of cake uh, all of these things uh, so i think that our branding has really helped us on our journey yeah absolutely branding is so spot on on the platform it's just so um, engaging and you would have made that choice and investment at some point when you've got a really strong product market fit that you would go invest into your brand i'm guessing it came at a stage where you felt Yes. Like, so it's, you've had all this involvement, it sounds like, to get to there. I wouldn't say that. No, you went straight to cake to the top. <laughs> well, we had been probably eight months into the journey and like really, you know, pivoted a couple of times, which was really difficult times, you know, and changed the team and all of that. We, but we, then we kind of, we had not, we didn't have prior market fit at the time at all, but we did feel strongly in our gut from all the experiences what what was a really underserved need and and where we wanted to to really help um and where we could help so we felt strongly about but we didn't have many customers we had a handful of customers i think 20 customers or something and they were mostly friends in the, at that time when we and we we spent you know at the time probably $25,000 or something on the brand which is was a lot of money but you know we and we we kind of made agreements to help to help them as well maybe that was too much information but you know you're bootstrapping you're trying to make it work and and you know it was worth all the money for us for sure uh, we're very happy about that we're doing a a brand uplift now actually so it's it will come out uh, within a month our new brand uh, it's still of course the same cake and uh, we're just kind of iterating on it but but really trying to to you know uh, make it a bit more professional and make it show that we're really here to empower founders and and really take all the quality that we have in the product and bring that out more in in the website and on our our marketing. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I've learned a whole lot and really thank you for being so authentic and open about your journey as well through and sharing your marketing growth and how you went about that so i really appreciate it i'm looking forward to everyone else listening on and finding out more about cake so thanks kim thank you so much Melanie. it was it was awesome i really enjoyed it and great questions so yeah thank you you are listening to innovative minds with melanie francis tune in every thursday and spark your mind